Welcome to the Babelry. Working, parenting, playing, voting, advocating, and creating as women. This is your host, Suki Wessling. A few months after the war in Ukraine started, I reached out to my coworker, Lydia Getya. She and I both teach online courses for mostly homeschooled students, and we came about our jobs in the same way, through homeschooling our own children. One of Lydia's children is a competitive swimmer and the other is a diver. In a version of what homeschoolers call world schooling, the family spent a year recently in Kyiv, solidifying her children's language skills before returning to the U.S. before the war. If Lydia's life was extraordinary in an ordinary way before the war, it took a sharp turn once the country of her birth was threatened with annihilation. In the beginning of this program, I speak with Lydia about how her all-American online shopping abilities were put to the test when she found out that Ukrainian soldiers needed the most basic things, like fungal cream. Soon she was doing the stairs in her Kansas house wearing bulletproof gear, just to test out what it would be like to be a soldier. You'll hear all about it in the first half of this program. Meanwhile, Lydia's friend Victoria Kuchmuk was also having an ordinary life disrupted by war. She lives in a town in the west of Ukraine near the border with Belarus. She describes it as a cute little town. Its Wikipedia page is literally one paragraph long. Her life was one that middle-class Americans would recognize. Working, hanging out with her family, going for hikes. One of the aspects of this war that has interested me in particular is how so many Ukrainians have gone on with life as usual, not just because they can do that, but because they have to. Victoria spent the first months of the war going about her life at home and at work, but with a growing worry about her teen son, who had become withdrawn. Victoria explains that all of their planning was up in the air. It's hard to think about adulthood, college, and career when young men are coming back to your village in coffins. That's when Lydia stepped in, and I won't spoil the story by trying to tell the rest of it. Lydia and Victoria are, like the rest of us, just trying to live their lives. But the war in Ukraine has heightened the importance of every decision they make and has presented them with new, difficult choices. In the end, the distance between them ends up bringing them closer. Listen in. Right before I was about to go to bed, it was about 11 o'clock central time. Uh, My um, cousin called me up and says, uh, war started in Ukraine, we're being bombed. Um, So that's when it all started. Um, Being born in Ukraine, uh, it's, it's very personal. Um, it's my family, it's my friends, it's the streets I grew up on, it's uh, my former classmates, um, it's my teachers and grandparents. It started with a, a phone call uh, from a friend in Kansas City, uh, basically in complete meltdown saying that uh, her mom lives near Kiev and Kiev is being bombed and uh, her mom has uh, diabetes and needs medication and we need to get her out of there because she's not very mobile. So when, um, besides even the bombs falling, it becomes very um, difficult to, in situation like that, to receive medication and medical care, especially for elderly and um Uh, people at risk. Um, So um, it started off with just my my friend's mom uh, trying to get her out. So I started, since I lived in Kiev for nine months last year, um, I just started calling my uh, friend's neighbor's contacts at the time and saying, okay, we need to get her out and started basically making connections, getting resources, um, meeting people who were very quick on their feet to react. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I got linked with one of the organizations um, that was formed by retired Ukrainian military guys. So they're no longer active uh, duty. Uh, they're all in their late 50s and 60s. Um, in Ukrainian, they're called Bratstvo. That means like the um, the brotherhood, the warrior brotherhood kind of a thing, I guess the translation. Um, so they got mobilized very quickly and started uh, getting people out of uh, those areas. Um, so I got contacted with them and uh, basically my job was to find 
financing uh, for getting cars and for getting petrol, gasoline. Because as you can imagine, that became a very scarce resource in pretty much immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a person on this side, being able to kind of find support in the Ukrainian community, um, I started a GoFundMe page and I was able to provide that financing for those guys. And they were able to find um, drivers and cars and uh, gasoline, and they would get people out from the most horrific places. I mean, one of the scariest stories was they were getting a family out of Kharkiv where a husband um, is um, mobily disabled. So uh, he obviously wouldn't be able to join general uh, evacuation on buses and um, trains. And as we're driving out of Kharkiv, they were shot at by Russian army. So there are bullet holes forming in the car as they drive. And they're all wearing uh, bulletproof vests as they're leaving. And um, it was all extremely traumatizing, as you can only imagine. So that was... A lot of stories like that. But for most parts, all of their evacuations went very smooth. Um, they were able to get in, pick up um, either elderly or uh, we also picked up people after surgery. Uh, we picked up a guy who actually just had a brain surgery uh, like wow. two weeks before um, the beginning so of war. So yeah. he was still in the hospital when the Kiev was bombed um, and they just moved him to basement of the hospital. Um, and he was there for about a month, basically, you know, getting whatever care he could. And they released him while Kiev was still being bombed. <laughs> so, but officially he's released from, from care. So we helped him. Uh, um, get uh, to Western uh, border. And then I found medical connections uh, with Israeli group um, that got him medical help um, and medication. And they, so I was able to connect. Basically, we drove him right to the border and then they picked him up at the ambulance and kind of moved them, moved him on where it was necessary afterwards. Mm-hmm. A lot of stories like that. Uh, yeah. Once um, Kiev, um, was uh, liberated and the uh, Russian army moved out of the Kiev region. Um, the effort was evacuation has come down, but um, I started receiving a lot of requests from all over, like friends whose um, family member is in the army and saying, okay, those guys are basically fighting naked. They don't have helmets. They don't have... Uh, life, uh, the bulletproof vests. They don't have uh, knee pads or arm pads, so they are basically on their knees and until the knees bleed. Um, you know, fighting in street fire. Um, so they're they need everything. They need uh, band aids. They need mm-hmm. um, uh, Jerusalem wraps. You know, those are the the, the tight wraps. So everything. So from shoes, socks to to everything, and. Um, this is where our community in Kansas City, um, and I think that's true for most uh, Ukrainian communities in the United States and across the world, uh, most of them have split. In the, um, some parts are focused on purely humanitarian aid. Uh, so we have a group in Kansas City that focuses on helping refugees, on helping those who, who left without a home, who basically standing was whatever they were standing and left their home and had to either evacuate to West Ukraine or to Poland or to Germany, um, focusing on medication to civilian hospitals. And uh, there are groups that are focusing more on helping with life-saving equipment for um, the soldiers over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I started off on more humanitarian side, but I had slowly transitioned more to um, life-saving equipment for the soldiers because my cousin's um, husband, he's um, the one who's fighting on the front lines. So talking uh-huh. to him, I can hear it from him firsthand, basically what's going on, where they are. Basically, the, the soldiers are just fighting with their free will and mm-hmm. just optimism, and that's it. Their bravery, because they got yeah. nothing. So um, 
I figured that there are a lot more humanitarian groups um, who are who are helping um, than than those who can help uh, and understand um, what's going on on the front lines. Um, and those stories are the ones that hit closest to home. Um, you know, like one of the stories that he told me as they were coming in, going through Zoom, um, to one of the cities that were un under Russian occupation for quite a prolonged period of time. Um, and as they were coming in into the cities and um, he could see basically body parts of little kids, you know. Oh my and, goodness. Um, it's... Um, completely destruction and devastation of of whole towns um and we're not talking like a third world country we're talking uh, cities that european cities so basically if you think equivalent of let's say like size of dallas texas to be completely gone to the ground and no buildings left and just complete devastation and death and people under the rebels that were screaming for help for weeks and nobody could help him. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stories like that, that caused me move a little bit to kind of focus on more of like a, a tactical side, uh, but they really overlap, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. I work with a group right now I was two groups. One is uh, it's, um, it's called Rivna Humanitarian Hub, um, and uh, they it's, it's basically a hub where um, from Ukrainian communities from all over the U.S. are sending aid, medication, food, um, clothing, everything that might be necessary and then from just that hub from that central point it is distributed wherever it's needed in ukraine mm -hmm. and um i work with another group which is actually an international group there is a, a couple of uh, british guys there there is a, a really awesome girl named liz she's uh, i believe she was born in latvia oh i hope i'm saying it correctly <laughs> <laughs> but um she speaks fluent English, and we have a couple of Ukrainian guys there. So a really fun international uh, team. And uh, they actually go out to the front line. They get requests, direct requests from the units and from the soldiers, what they need. Uh, they kind of send them off to me. And mm -hmm. I try to take care of them as much as I can and send it back to them, or at least find some resources for them to mm -hmm. get it. Um, and then they take it back to those units directly. Interesting. So, so yes. what is that organization called? It's called Alex21 for Ukraine. You can, they have a oh, Facebook yeah. page. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so how so when you are doing this, I mean, I'm assuming you don't have any background in procuring uh, military equipment. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're a teacher. Yes. Yes. And, you know what you so, you know I as a teacher I always tell my kids if you put your mind to it you can learn anything right. Uh -huh. It's all about gathering information or organizing it in your head. My right, Suki. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So it's the same thing. You'd be surprised in the last uh, three months how much I've learned about, uh, you know, everything from uh, types of bulletproof vests and which helmets are comfortable, which helmets are not comfortable, when they cover the ears and not cover the ears, the types of electronic hearing protection, what kind of... Uh, so but even like the little itty bitty nuances that make a difference, you know, like the tourniquets, the one that stopped bleeding. Apparently there's really good ones and there's really bad ones. And I can sit here and tell you all about it because I had to wow. <laughs> almost write it, you know, I could probably write a paper on it right now. Mm -hmm. I have to research so, it so, so much. To, to pr provide a little context, when you last lived in Ukraine, you said, when, how long ago was that? Uh, last school year. So last all last school year. school year we spent, yes, August through uh, May, we spent in Kiev with my family. Uh -huh. And what is your daily life like there? There? Oh, yeah. Um, because of the time difference in me working at um, Pacific time, uh, I would get up at 7.30 in the morning, make breakfast, 
for my kids, send off my kids to training. Uh, you know, the one of them does swimming, the other one does diving. They both trained in the morning um, until lunch, come back, um, eat lunch at home. Then I would send them off to a Ukrainian school where uh, there are teachers that help them with learning language, basically like ESL, just backwards. It's <laughs> for, for Ukrainian. And uh, they would stay there until about... So the school officially ended at three, but they would stay there until about five. So they can, can get a little bit extra help with their uh, Ukrainian homework. And uh, uh, they would come back here, okay, they would come back home and uh, uh, have dinner and then get started on their American schooling. So mm -hmm. because they're, we kept homeschooling in parallel as well. Um, and then the next day, pretty much the, everything repeated. My work day started about 4.30 p.m. Ukrainian time. It went on until about uh, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning um, Ukrainian time. And then, you know, go to bed and get up at 7.30. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a crazy schedule. But so like, wait, wait, despite the fact that it's a little unusual that the... the International families often have these sort of unusual schedules and, and unusual schooling because you're trying to give them schooling in Ukrainian as well as, you know, American style schooling. But but other than that, you were just living a normal life, right? Normal. Yeah. It, it, they they made friends. They had tons of friends. They uh, went out uh, skiing in the winter. They went to day camps during the uh, school breaks. Uh, they went to the stores and cafes for ice cream with their neighbor kids. Um, they spent time with their grandma, which lives also in Kiev, um, mm -hmm. went on, on bike rides. And uh, a lot of, um, of friends that they made in Kiev, my kids still stay in contact with. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of friends and connections as well. And yeah, like you said, normal life. You go to store, you come back home, make food. Uh, take kids to activities. We went to um, museums, went to concerts, just like everyday life yeah. here. And then things just changed so suddenly. That's the thing that that is really hard to think about for. And I, I like that you know you pointed out that like Dallas, as if Dallas had been leveled. You know that that I think that most Americans have hard time really picturing this. And, you know, you're not even there, but your life has changed significantly. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm not there and it's hard to even sometimes for me to picture it. Um, you know, if my friends, they would call me and say, yeah, you remember that school that we went by? Yeah, it's no longer there. You remember mm -hmm. that uh, the park that we visited that the kids played up? Yeah, it's no longer there. So um, there is... Not a week goes by where I hear about a funeral that's happening that is somehow connected to me. You remember your classmate's brother? Yeah, he's gone. Do you remember mm. your um, grandma's friends? You know, that the, they're gone. So, I mean, like I said, just because it's so personal, it makes it, um, it makes a different impression. Soon we'll be joined by Lydia's friend Victoria, and we will hear how Lydia's work has taken an extremely personal turn. But first, let's hear how helping to save the country of her birth becomes Lydia's primary work. The survivor's guilt is strong with this one, uh, very strong. It, and it's not only for me, it's for everyone uh, who's have Ukrainian heritage. I think that's one of the reasons why I, uh, split every second uh, of every minute uh, into you know doing what I need to do for my family here, as well as doing everything possible and impossible for um, aid in Ukraine to, to support people in Ukraine. Because it's if I wouldn't be able to do something, I think I would just go insane. 
So mm -hmm. just staying busy and seeing results of my work, being productive and seeing how it helps. That's what kind of keeps me moving and <laughs> not having meltdowns basically yeah. every day. I, I can imagine. So, um, so more recently, you've been involved in trying to get medication over there. Can you talk about that? Yes, that has been a struggle uh, to organize um, because of the FDAC um, levels of um, types of medication. We were only able to send previously um, or only over-the-counter types of medication. Mm -hmm. And um, even that, we're still buying it not a cheap price. We're mm -hmm. able to get some donations, um, but we still have to raise money for each um, box, at least at some level, mm -hmm. um, even if it's at cost, if it's sold to us at cost. So um, so the the over-the-counter medications that you've been getting, what sort of things are needed? Um, everything from fungal cream, which is extremely needed right now because the weathers are he weather is heating up and all of the soldiers are wearing um, very heavy bulletproof vests all day. Um, and they don't have a light proper gear. So they're still wearing, a lot of them wearing winter boots and winter gear. As a result, they get everything from, you know, body uh, rashes and, well, you can only imagine basically wearing heavy and hot equipment um, all day long. And we're, when we're talking heavy, we're talking like 20 plus pounds just in the vest and mm -hmm. um, helmet and all the gear additional. I, when I was donating some of those vests, I actually tried it on and I tried going three flights of stairs. I, I was not able to do that. And mm -hmm. I'm definitely not, I consider myself a fit person. Uh -huh. um, and for me, it was impossible going three flights of stairs um, in that vest. So they have to be obviously very strong. And um, everything from eye drops, um, we're talking reps, we're talking pain medication as in like uh, your aspirin, Tylenol type of things. We're talking flu medication. Um, so everything over the counter, and it has to be in large quantities, um, the bleed stop medication, um, uh, reps, everything we can get our hands on. It's mm -hmm. all needed there and it's needed in large quantities. And so where, what companies have you been dealing with, with um, drugstore companies or directly with the producers? Uh, we have found some uh, very nice uh, companies that are helping us kind of coordinate uh, through uh, directly through pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. So they're selling it to us at the cost. So what sort of, you know, you said that, that you're now trying to get some prescription medications over. What kind of prescription medications are needed? Right now, what's most needed the most is uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication as, uh, and also insulin. So those basically the top two um, mm -hmm. that the most requested from both civilian hospitals and military hospitals. A lot of the Ukrainian military is very unexperienced. I will mm -hmm. step back on that. Um, it's not the type of a training that the U.S. military got before they go fight um, in war. A lot of these boys, yesterday, they were programmers, farmers. And today, after getting 10 days of bare training of how to hold the weapon, they're sent to the front line. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of them are psychologically very unprepared of what they're seeing. And you're seeing people dying in front of you. You can't help them. Those are children, women, civilians. You see your friends being um, standing on landmines, landmines and exploding in front of you. You see um, tears. You see just absolute terror. Um, and... Uh, None of Ukrainian population is prepared for that, and not civilian, not military. Uh, and as a result, there's um, a lot of anxiety attacks, and uh, um, doctors and psychiatrists are having to basically uh, figure out a way how to help these people and get them, help them continue to function. Mm -hmm. Because the stories that I've heard in a lot of cases when you see your wife 
be blown up to pieces. When you see the one of the, I have to tell you, there was just a horrible story where an elderly couple and um, grandma was blown up um, basically in front of her husband. He just took a wheelbarrow and brought the remains of her body back to the house and, and buried. And, and that was in Mariupol. Um, and uh, uh, the family only found out that so there's no connection in Mariupol that um, that happened only months later. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have to figure out how to function and how to continue to live when you see children dying, when you see your mom or dad dying in horrible death. It just kills the will to live. It kills um, any desire to to function. Um, so the anti-anxiety medication will be life-saving not only for civilians but also for the military who's like i said was completely unprepared and you know just fighting on sheer will Mm -hmm. yeah and so so what is the process for trying to to get this to happen who who are you dealing with uh, we found a wonderful lawyer uh, who is um, writing a request to receive FDAC level approval um, to export basically medication, um, a prescription and medication from US to Ukraine. If we receive this FDAC level approval, we'll be able to purchase medication here and to, we have to make sure that there is a proper chain of custody. So it's only uh, transferred um, you know, from doctor to doctor and the no chain of custody is broken um, and it goes to the right places and it goes to the correct hands every single mm-hmm. time. It doesn't end up on black market or something like that. So the lawyer is working with them to try to figure out how to do this. And yeah. and would that be a, a doctor, I guess, in, in Ukraine and then you'd transfer yes. the, the yeah. medications I, there? Um, I already have uh, spoken to uh, Ukraine, to the doctor who's um, linked to the Ukrainian Ministry of Health. So he assured me there will be no problem with the paperwork or connections on their side. Um, right now, we have just have to make sure that the transportation, um, because the transportation of medication happens by a humanitarian aid company that has nothing to do with medication, just the humanitarian organization, uh, that while it's transported from point A in the U.S. to the custody of the doctors in Ukraine, there is no um, break in the chain of custody there. So it seems like you've you're you've been on quite an odyssey this this year, on uh, these last few months. Um, how is it how is it affecting your your family and your sense of life in the United States? I have to give props to my family. Uh, my husband has been the most wonderful in the sense that he picked up so much. Um, responsibilities that usually would fall upon me and the family, you know, pick up, drop off from kids, from activities, cooking and stuff like that. Very understanding. If I'm staying up half the night, making phone calls and keeping things organized. Um, And I can tell both of my girls, even though they're only 12 and 10 have really matured. And I remember a couple of months after the war started, I, uh, we were driving somewhere and I said to my girls, I'm sorry, girls, I feel like I've been really neglecting you and not giving you enough attention the last few months. And I feel guilty for that. And their reaction moved me to tears because they said, Mom, how could you even say that? You're saving people's life. I mean, we're going to do everything that we can do to make sure that you have time to do so. And they have. Uh, both of the girls have really stepped up to give me that free time to, you know, to volunteer more. Um, everything from helping around the house to making sure that their homework done and they're prepared for their swim meets and reminding me about whatever <laughs> training or um, gathering that I forgot about. <laughs> We've been listening to what homeschooling mom and teacher Lydia Getya was doing to help her native country of Ukraine, 
mostly working to help people she didn't know early in the war. She also spoke about the toll her work was taking on her own family at the time. But as the war has dragged on, she stepped up in the most personal way imaginable. Let's listen to Victoria's story now. So when war began, I was studying at Kyiv. I have like a business trip to Kyiv uh, because I am working in a, a company that cooperates with uh, foreign companies and uh, uh, we are selling uh, lamella or veneer from oak, made from oak, uh, to the Europe. So I was in Kyiv, I was studying, um, we had the third, they remember the third, yeah, the third day of our courses and uh, in, early in the morning I heard sounds very loud sounds and a window was shimmering and but i couldn't believe that something is going on that something bad is going on um i was laying in a bed but uh, couldn't sleep so then i've heard again the same sound and again and again uh, then I tried to call to my colleague that was in the same hotel that I was, and we uh, were talking about the sounds. Uh, she asked me to switch on um, my TV, and then I saw uh, Putin on the screen, and then our, our president, and I couldn't understand what is going on, you know. Uh, then I was trying to go home. It was a very long trip. I was uh, I took just uh, my small bag and went out from the hotel, just put the key on the table and then go out to find somebody with whom I could go home because I was around 500 kilometers from my town. Uh, so there I have found a boy that was uh, living not far from my origin. It was uh, from Rivne. And we were looking for a car that may take us uh, to our homes. So it was a big, big shock for everybody because while trip I was ready that I will not um, come back. The, because uh, while uh, um, going home, we uh, were observing how people are like running with their backs, with their dogs, cats, children on their arms, and they're trying to find out safe place. Um, what will be then? We didn't know. We just had like hope for something, for, for the miracles that everything will be okay. Yeah. It was the worst day in my life, I think, because I said goodbye to all my family, uh, wrote some short messages to my friends, and it was it all. Uh, then, thanks God, I came back home. It took me two days to go to get at home and um, I was with my family for several days we were discussing what to do to go abroad maybe or to stay here um, we didn't know what to do because we are living uh, near the border to Belarus and as you know uh, Russia and Belarus are like cooperating but we've decided to stay because our parents didn't want to go and tell the truth, uh, me too. You know, the best place is home, so we've decided to stay. Now we are living, we are trying to live the same life, but we cannot do this um, because um, 
the the bomb uh, attacks are not very often in our origin you know just several times for the last month um, but we have these alarms we have to hide our children also to the shallows and uh, we do not have electricity all day long we just we have breaks uh, when we do not have it so many companies are closed many shops are also closed uh, we have opportunity to buy food uh, water everything but um, it's not the same as we have before yeah um, everything is gray dark and um, um, it's not as it has to be before holidays, you know. Yeah. We don't know how to dream. Uh, how to dream? Children are asking for presents. Um, we are buying something to make them happy, but no happiness in the air. So no, this I don't know. Yeah. You may know, like mm, feel free yourself to dream you you may not plan just for tomorrow that's all for months it's impossible to plan something and so the days are the same monday tuesday wednesday all the same go to work come back home cook clean children family but we are happy that we have this that we have family that we have opportunity to come back home that we have it i have friends that uh, where live is that are living in kiev uh, also relatives that are living in kiev i have um, um friends that uh, uh, live in poltava in kharkiv so it's hard to believe how people are living there. It's very, it's very dangerous. It's very hard. It's impossible to believe how, how, how they live, how they have, um, I don't know, even. They are very brave. They yes. are very brave. As the war continues in Ukraine, everyday people find themselves in the position of having to make extraordinary decisions. Speaking just before the Christmas holiday, Victoria talks about the life they are leading now and what led up to the decision that their teenage son could no longer stay in Ukraine with his family. In this final segment, we'll hear how Lydia, safe back in the United States, sees another opportunity to help people in her home country, this time in a very personal way. For last week, we had three uh, soldiers that came back home, and we had three funeral ceremonies uh, in our town. So just for last week, yeah, these soldiers were very young men, just 27, 24 years old. So it's it's not fair. It's not fair. Let it go. Tell the truth. We have we have everything what we need. Material. I mean, material things: food, uh, water, uh, roof over our heads. We have work. Uh, we have opportunity to go to the street and walk, and to go to the shop and to go. I don't know to relatives to see them to talk with somebody yes we have everything all this stuff that we have it but um it's not the same that we had before uh, my younger son is six year old and he um, goes to school it is his first year at school he's studying he's trying to study <laughs> because um uh, our classes are shorter 
than usual because we don't have electricity at school, uh, just um, several hours. So they may go just for several classes. Uh, he mm, doesn't understand everything. As I see, he knows um, that is war. We are talking about this. We are, um, are not afraid to talk. He is asking questions. Um, he knows much from news. We are watching news together. And we are discussing because we want uh, him to understand everything. Um, it's it's difficult to explain um, why why we have this situation, but um, and why we do not have opportunity to go somewhere. Why uh, many uh, his friends is abroad? Uh, abroad. Um, they had to move. Um, it's hard to explain why we don't have internet, electricity, and uh, sometimes water. Uh, why uh, his older brother had to go abroad. But it's so. I don't know, maybe we have to ask somebody what to do because he doesn't want uh, to paint. He... Well, he liked to do it before war, and now he he doesn't he um, doesn't know what what to paint. Mm. My older son is now in the USA, so uh, I uh, took him um, on October um, to our friend uh, Lydia uh, she's a very kind person she's Ukrainian and uh, she um, now is a citizen of United States uh, she has a very beautiful family uh, two adorable daughters Ira and Natalia and um, one day Lydia calls um, us and um, she proposed um, to take our older son to USA and um, that she will help us with this uh, because there he will have opportunity to study. Uh, so he likes he likes um, United States. He likes his school very much. And his uh, classmates. <clears throat> now he's swimming, he's studying. His swimming team is very also cool. He's talking much about uh, people uh, that are supporting them. Not even Lydia with her family. They are very kind and a very so open-hearted per person. Um, I don't know. Um, how how kind you have to be to take um, another children um, to your family. I cannot explain yes. because um, it's not easy sometimes with your own children, but with children from your friend or other family it's it's very hard it's very hard besides she has daughters and she took like she says not a boy i took a son mm. <laughs> so she yeah she names herself that she is a new mom <laughs> for stars uh, so so my older son is uh, his name is stars but in USA, at school, he is named uh, Stan. He likes his new name. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to pronounce like Stan. Uh -huh. 
It's it's I guess it's an adventure for a young teenager to get to change his yeah. name and his place and yeah. So. You know, yes, but now he is um, like smiling, he's laughing more. When he was here, he was um, he doesn't talk even much because I think that um younger children um, like do not understand the situation, the whole situation, what is going on. But teenagers, um, they are not easy if everything is okay. They have their own problems, their own opportunity to the situations. But now I think that teenagers um, are very, like, um, they are not open with their problems, they are closing here. They don't want to talk why they um, are sad, why uh, they do not want to eat, even um, to study, to go and to play and to with their friends. I don't know, my son was sitting all the summer at home and he doesn't want even to go for a walk with his friends. I don't know why, but now uh, when uh, he is not here, he is not at home, like he has another life. He has opportunity to speak with happy people. Mm-hmm. Here everyone is like, no, I cannot say that we are unhappy. No, but... Um, even in the air, you feel all this sadness, all this darkness. It's it's different because while I was with uh, stars in USA, I was there during three weeks, so I felt this difference. Just when you go abroad, you feel this difference because we even forget that we had another life. We forget this. We are like live we like live in another world in another like in a dream maybe that never ends it seems that everything is okay because you are alive your children are okay you have everything what you need to have for life but it's not the same i i don't know how to explain i can imagine that it's hard because you can't really think into the future. Yeah, you cannot plan. You cannot plan and uh, you can plan for your children because you don't know what will be here in a year if war will not be ended. I don't know, the third part maybe of our country even. Oh, no, maybe the half of the country is so... Um, uh, it's hard to explain me. Not enough words. Mm. Um, in such a horrible situation that people had to move, uh, all buildings are destroyed, no electricity, no water, nothing. So even if a war will be ended now, we need maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe more years to rebuild everything, to renew everything. And what will be with our children here? They don't have opportunity to study, to enter the university, and what then? It's hard to plan something. Yeah. Even holidays, we may not plan even our holidays. We will have soon uh, Christmas, New Year. But what we will have, we do not know. Tell me, tell me what it's like for you as a mom how how it's changed for you that you don't you can't plan for your children and you have children that are in very different stages of life so it must be very different for the two of them 
you know, everything has changed. Everything because I I wanted my older son to study abroad, sure, but I was dreaming that it will be his choice to after he uh, will um, be graduated his school and after school he will enter university maybe in USA maybe in Europe I don't know it could be your choice not the choice that had to be done before he's not so old enough old to 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 go somewhere without his parents. What about younger son? He is missing his older brother, his best friend. Now he's alone here. I and my husband, we are trying to support him, but it's not the same. Um, He is afraid uh, to stay alone uh, at night. So he's escaping from his room to our bed every night because he's afraid of something. I think that now I am more um, strong as personality, but I am at the same time more closed. I do not want to dream because I'm not sure that I will be able to get something in future. So I don't want to be upset because of this. It makes no sense. But now uh, we know how strong we are. And uh, all the situation, it's like made everyone another another person we like changed not even from bedside because we all are sad upset and unhappy but we are stronger we are so um, brave nation that i couldn't believe that we are i followed up with lydia by telephone to find out how stan is doing in the u.s She told me that the easy decision to take him into their home spawned a whole new idea. While the war rages in Ukraine, Lydia has reinvented herself yet again, this time as an exchange student coordinator. Along with Stan, she has placed nine other teens in homes around Kansas City, with another arriving in January. She said the teens are thriving, building their own little community far from home. While I spoke to Lydia and Victoria, I kept remembering what Lydia told me the first time I talked to her early in the war when she had set about learning how to source medical supplies. As a teacher, I always tell my kids, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Thanks for listening. Visit babblery.com for links and information about this podcast. The Babelry is produced with support from KSQD in Santa Cruz, California.